This was on the baptistry in the first service where it was easier to see, but we had better use of the baptistry in the second service. So I'm going to put this up where you can see. You know what this is? Specifically, yeah, it's cloth. It's a very specific cloth. And you would never have guessed that I had access to this cloth on Sunday morning in Calgary, Alberta. It's Lazarus' burial shroud, right? Jesus said, unbind him and, and set him free. He had to, they had to take off his cloth. He was still wrapped up. So I'll be thinking about that. And then um, if, you're, if you're visiting or if you're not and you're always here and you just kind of weren't paying attention, um, this isn't a normal Sunday. There's a lot of folks away because of long weekend and... Uh, it just happened that the stars aligned so that the rest of the staff is also all away, and also my family, except for my parents. I'm glad my parents are here this morning. So I was, exp- I was just lonely this morning. So if you want to move further forward, that's fine. And if you're visiting and thinking, why is that guy doing everything, just know that that's not usually the case. I don't usually lead the singing and do the speaking and, and all of that. But this morning, I am. And we're continuing our series on... Jesus, I am statements. So, ego e me, you know, it's, it's an emphatic way of saying. It's like saying in English, I myself am. But for the early Christians, it would have strongly echoed the name of God, Yahweh, which means something like I am, or I am the existence of being, or I'm the essence of existence. So when Jesus says, I am, uh, he wasn't just saying, it's me. He was making a statement about who he was, his power and his authority. Now, in the bulletin, there's, I think on the back, on the top right corner, there's some questions for reflection, and I have to be careful because there may have been some people who are in first service. If you're in first service, you can't participate in this because you know the answer already. But if you weren't in first service, so sorry, Corey, you missed it, you guys are out. But if you weren't in first service, uh, then... I will buy a coffee to the first person who can tell me the mistake in my questions. But I'm not going to give you an unlimited time limit. You have to look at it, and if you can't see it right away, all right. In the questions, in the, okay, no one gets a coffee. I'm going to tell you the answer. Uh, in the questions, there's a conversation between Jesus and one of Lazarus' sisters, and I, and I wrote mistakenly in the question, Mary, but it was Martha. And I want to point that out because Martha needs some redemption. Because Martha gets a bad rap, right? Martha's the one who was busy working away, trying to show her value by working too hard in the back room, while Mary was the one who got it right, and she's sitting and just soaking in Jesus' presence. But in this situation, the death of Lazarus, Martha is the one who's there with Jesus at the beginning, and it took Mary longer to get to him. So, just wanted to redeem Martha for you all, because she has a 2,000-year bad rap, and she needs to be redeemed. She and Mary basically traded places in this situation. So, I want to start with a... a, I'm going to read a page from a book, uh, and I want to start with a question. Move my stuff around here. When you're stressed, 
This is open. You can talk back to me. When you're stressed or bored or tired, uh, what do you do to relieve your stress or your boredom? It's not a rhetorical question. I'll be confessional in a minute. Yeah, thank you. Ed, you are way more honest than everybody in the first service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of us, uh, that, that was my confession. I, you know, man, that phone comes out pretty quickly, right? And read the news or, or check social media or play a game or something, right? Something to distract me. What about you? What else? There's other things we do. Sleep. Okay, good. Yeah, and, and there are times in life when we wish we could and we can't, and that's a frustrating thing. So sleep, yeah, some kind of amusement, some distraction. What else? Exercise, and then what someone over here said, pardon? Call, call some, yeah, call a friend or family and, and visit with them, chat with them, dump on them, be encouraged by them. Yeah, yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I had that experience this week, actually. Um, yeah, so if, if you're having a bit of conflict and you're feeling like you're hitting your limit, just step away and let the conflict kind of settle down and then come back to it and deal with it later. Yes? Video games. Sure. Honesty, it's good. It's, it's what we do. We do something that's fun or we get some rest or we get some exercise or we engage in relationship, right? These are the things that we do. Take it a, a step further in. Um, what about when you're terrified or utterly defeated? When you're beaten? Um, then, then where do you go? Pray. Netflix. <laughs> Honesty again. Good. I love that. Netflix and prayer. That could be a book. <laughs> Chocolate. Um, I, I wa- we walked for five years in a community of people who had experienced horrors. And some of you have experienced horrors. And some of you have lived in communities that have. Um, traumas that you can't recover from. Um, Babies that were sucked from your hands by the tsunami. Um, feeling your mother die and release her grip while you were trapped under the water. These were some things that our friends went through in Japan. Um, and then we've walked here. We're walking with some folks who have experienced some deep traumas, right? Some hurtful... They've, they've been in the shadow of death. Um, on Friday, we had a friend, or we had a, a fellow who was coming from Saskatchewan, and we were trying to arrange for him to pick up one of our Wednesday lunch friends to take him back to Saskatchewan so that he could see his mom. And we think that our friend actually is in the hospital now, so they didn't connect, and so our friend couldn't make it back to Saskatchewan to see his mom. But he's living a life in exile. He grew up in a Hutterite colony. He made some choices that, according to their rules now, the longest he can come back for at a time is two days. Um, he has a child that he cannot see on the other end of things because his estranged partner's 
brother is a gang member and threatened to kill him if he shows up. So you you have somebody who's walking their life now in the badlands. and, And to say he's experiencing homelessness doesn't quite cover the depth of it. He's experiencing not just having a house, but he, he can't go back to his homeland. And some of you have experienced that if you've traveled. Um, I'm looking at some faces that I know you've lost your homeland and you can't go back. That's the trauma that you do. So where do you turn in those situations? We're going to look at John 11 um, in a moment. And there's this, this conversation between Jesus and Martha, and then Jesus and Mary, and, it's, and then Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that, that's the text, but I want to I read this page from a book first, uh, and then ask another question. So this is a little book called Sleeping with Bread, uh, and uh, someone in the first service said it brought to mind the image of children sleeping in bunk breads. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Actually, it's much more serious than that, but let me, let me just read this one page to you. During the bombing raids of World War II, thousands of children were orphaned and left to starve. The fortunate ones were rescued and placed in refugee camps where they received food and good care, but many of these children, who had lost so much, they couldn't sleep at night. They feared waking up to find themselves once again homeless and without food. Nothing seemed to reassure them. Finally, someone hit upon the idea of giving each child a piece of bread to hold at bedtime. Holding their bread, these children could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded them, Today I ate, and I will eat again tomorrow. And the question of this book is, what do you hold on to for life? What do you hold on to that gives you life? So a minute ago, I asked some questions, kind of facetious, right, at first. What do we do that distracts us, um, that diverts us, that entertains us, that recreates us? And there's a big difference there, right? Some of the things that we turn to to give us relief are the very things that steal life from us. And other things, the, the true meaning of the term recreation, are the things that recreate us. They give us life again. Okay, so let's turn to this passage in John chapter 11. It's on page 716, 761 in the the Bibles in the chairs, if you'd like to look along. I'm just going to kind of tell the story. Last night at the dinner table, I asked my family, uh, I said, help me with the sermon. So I I told them what I was going to talk about. I told them the story, and it turned into a bit of a frustrating experience because I realized the story of Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus um, raises lots of questions for a seven-year-old. And so my son, like every, every second sentence, he was like, wait a minute, why didn't Jesus show up? Wait a minute, why, why did this happen? Wait a minute, who was what? But here's the story, right? So you know Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're Jesus, they're kind of family friends, it seems like, or his, his buddies, a bit different than the disciples. In the disciples, he had Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner trio that he hung out with, and, and they were his, kind of his lead disciples, and then the rest of the 12, right? But Mary and Martha and Lazarus are kind of in a different category. And Jesus shows up at their house sometimes. You have that interaction with Mary and Martha that I referred to earlier. 
And in this case, Lazarus has fallen ill, very ill. And they send word to Jesus. And what does Jesus decide to do? Yeah, he stays away. So the first half of the book of John is called the book of signs. And you can trace seven different miracles that Jesus performs that kind of attest to not only his power, but his authority. So this is a book about Jesus showing his authority by his signs. He's saying, I am who I say that I am. Right? Does that sound familiar? But in the midst of that, when it gets to Lazarus, he doesn't go. He stays back. And Lazarus dies. So then Jesus decides to go. He said, now, now it's time. The time has come, he says, and we'll go. Thomas thinks they're going to their death, so he's ready to go be a martyr because they're headed for Judea and that area where Jesus has been threatened so much before. But they head into it, and they get there, and Lazarus has been dead now for how long? Four days. What's the significance of four days? Yeah, yeah. For some of the early Jews, they had a belief that for three days, the soul hung around. And it might decide to re-enter the body and you could... But by the fourth day, you were really dead. Like in the movie The Princess Bride. You're really dead. <laughs> Lazarus is really dead. So dead that when Jesus asked him to open the tomb, his sister says, By now, Lord... In the, I love the old King James, right? It stinketh. There be a stench. Uh, he was dead to become decomposing dead. But Jesus said, Open the tomb... And then he calls Lazarus out, unbind, and set him free. So that's the end of the story. But before that happens, there's this conversation with Martha, right? And so Jesus comes, Martha's there. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, you could have saved my brother. And Jesus says to Martha, do you believe that your brother will rise again? Or that you'll see him, will live again? She says, yes, at the resurrection. And Jesus' response is amazing. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Do you believe in me? Do you believe me? He says. And Mary makes a, or Martha makes a confession. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. That's a profound confession, right? That becomes churchy language for us that we hear a lot. But think about it in their case. She's saying... You are the anointed king that we've been waiting for. And not only a political leader, you are God's son. Two massive claims. And then this amazing thing happens. They go out to the tomb. Mary comes out. They have kind of a similar conversation. And then Jesus sees Mary and the rest of the Jews all weeping for Lazarus. And he's, he's what? He's greatly disturbed. The, the, the verb there is pretty, he wasn't just sad. It could be translated, he was deeply troubled. He was greatly disturbed in spirit. He was furious. It could be. And there's lots of explanations for why Jesus wept. Some people say, oh, it was because of his, in fact, the Jews, right? See the deep compassion he had for this family? But I don't think that's why Jesus wept, because he knew what was coming. I'm about to call Lazarus from the tomb, he's thinking. Why would Jesus be frustrated in that situation? I think it's because if you track what's been happening all along in Jesus' journey in John, 
He's been trying to build a foundation of faith in these people because he knows what's coming next is going to be beyond hard for them. And so when he asks Martha, do you believe me? He's not saying, do you have right thoughts in your head about who I say that I am? The do you believe me question is, can you hold on to me, Martha, for what's coming next? He hasn't raised Lazarus yet. And then they're all, Martha makes this profound statement, but it seems that even that confession isn't quite enough. Jesus is still distraught by the despair of the people at Lazarus' death. So Jesus calls Lazarus out, raises him from the dead. And it's a funny story, right? The very next chapter, the, the Jewish leaders are trying to kill Lazarus again. You'd think you'd give up. If you killed a guy once, wouldn't you hesitate before you try to kill him again? But what Jesus does there is he says, look, your faith has got you to this point. I've raised your brother, but I'm going now. The rest of the book, the second half of John, is all about the journey to the cross. And this part's going to be hard, harder than you could ever have imagined. And I need, Martha, for you to hold on to me because I am the resurrection. I am the life. Not just the not dying part, but the fullness of life, he's saying to Martha. And, and then he goes on. So what's the question for you and for me? I think the disciples had their own challenge, right? When that Friday came, they'd had the Lord's Supper, or they had the Passover the, the night before, or they'd had the, the Last Supper, sorry, the night before. And then on Friday... Uh, there's all the events of the evening and the morning, and then Jesus is let off. There's the, uh, the kangaroo court that happens, and Jesus is hung on the cross. The disciples didn't know what was coming. They must have been overcome by despair, by fear, by shame, by doubt, by confusion. We have the advantage of looking at it from this side of the story. We know he rose from the grave. But for us, there's been 2,000 years in between, and none of us saw that with our own eyes. And fear and shame and doubt and confusion can creep in. And so in the midst of our doubts and our fears and our confusions, we still sometimes have to face those hard things that I talked about at the beginning. We still face horrors sometimes. We still have traumas that we can't let go of. We have bitterness in our hearts from a relationship where we feel like we were hurt or we feel like we hurt somebody and we can't fix it. And I think the message that spans all of that time for us is still, do you believe? And it's not, do you think right in your faith? It's not, do you know the right answers? It's, can you hold on to me to give you life? Because I know sometimes it's hard, but my promise is true. I am the resurrection, he says. I am the life, he says. And if you believe in me, there's this promise of eternal life. What you see happen at the cross is your story too, Jesus says. There will be suffering on the front end of it, but there's glory and resurrection on the after. And I'm coming back and I'm going to make that everybody's story. That's his message for us. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, 
for giving us a book, uh, for giving us a reference point that we can go back to again and again and, and recheck the story and, and check it against um, <clears throat> all of the, the data of everyday life, of our joys and our hurts, of our struggles in relationship, of our personal failures, of our failures um, as a church or as a people group or as a nation. Uh, Thank you that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the down payment or the deposit on the promises, all the promises that you've made. Thank you that we have Paul's testimony that everything, God, that you promised all through the Old Testament The answer to every one of those is a yes in Christ to us. And our response is amen. God, please, uh, on a sunny day like this, uh, it's easy sometimes to look away or to forget that others are walking in in the very shadow of the valley of death. Uh, Some of us may be. And if we are, God, then Jesus, please... uh, Give us ways to, to cling to you, to hold on to you for life. And for those who are around us, um, help us to recognize uh, what they're walking through and help us to walk along with them uh, and be the connection for them uh, to connect to the one who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen.